0: Welcome to the Hazard Ground Podcast. As always, we appreciate you joining us each and every week. Before we get to this, this week's guest, who is right here in the state of Georgia with me, who has gone on to do some amazing things inside the veteran community, particularly combating veteran suicide. We'll get to him in just a moment. First, a few announcements that we give you as normal every single week. Please follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at HazardGround.com. At Hazard Ground Podcast, continue to leave Apple reviews as well, help grow the show. Uh, We are getting bigger and bigger, and the only way we do it is by you guys leaving five-star reviews, continuing to help everybody know why you love the show and why you should listen each and every week. So thank you for those in advance. Don't forget about our promotion with Amazon. You can go to our website, hazardground.com. Click on the Amazon button at the bottom of the homepage or under the Sponsors tab. And uh, you'll get redirected to Amazon. You can do all your normal Amazon shopping. We get a percentage of what you guys spend. And then we donate that percentage back to some of the great charities and organizations you've heard featured here on the show. Also works really easy from your smartphone. Easy and convenient. Redirects you right to the app. So if you save your credit card information and everything, it's convenient and easy to use. So, again, check out hazardground.com first before you do your Amazon shopping. All right, this week's guest, former Army captain, who is also a Ranger, spent a total of 10 years between the active duty and the Guard in total of service, has a deployment to Iraq and Afghanistan, post-career, got his law degree from Emory University, works in commercial real estate, also now has established a nonprofit called Something Out of Nothing, uh, a project of the nonprofit Toughest Kids to help raise support. Uh, and also create awareness about veterans' suicide. He is Earl Porter joining us here on the Hazard Ground Podcast. Earl, welcome, and thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, thank you, Mark. Long-time uh, long fan from here, the radio time. Uh <laughs> I picked you. up listening to the Braves, my last duty station, and uh, was acquainted. You were kind of the first veteran transitionee that I knew
0: well, thank in you, my uh, periphery. It, it, it's good to have uh, another fellow Georgian here with us. And you are a product of the university of North Georgia. And uh, while I joke and say it's a cult um, that uh, <laughs> there have been many an officer that I have served with and beyond uh, that have gone out to do amazing things uh, that uh, graduated from North Georgia in the Corps of cadets there. In fact, um, now Colonel Dan Kearney uh, from Restrepo back when he was captain Kearney came right. from, from North Georgia. So, uh, a long lineage, you know. You're, you're upholding the greatness of North Georgia.
1: Hey, I uh, I love North Georgia. It gave me a clean canvas after high school. Uh, I've got my entire paradigm of understanding of leadership from that institution, and uh, diamond in the rough.
0: <laughs> also, uh, we have a mutual friend. Uh, Susan, who also interviewed you for the library of Congress, we've had a couple of people who, uh, she has referred to the show. Uh, she's a great veterans advocate, a wonderful storyteller. And for those who don't know, the library of Congress has like this whole veteran stories deal, kind of similar to what, uh, what we're doing here with the hazard ground, but you know, they like to tell veteran stories as well inside the library of Congress. So you've shared your story there as well. But, uh, I mean, I know North Georgia was where you got your start, but, uh, you mentioned a clean slate. So was there, was there trouble? Prior to getting to North Georgia for you
1: uh, I'd say hardship uh, yeah, so I, I grew up in Decatur, Georgia. Um, I say I'm a product of of the community um, had I left home at 14 and uh, took an unbeaten path um, and tried to emancipate myself. There wasn't any uh, jurisprudence for that now another fancy word. Um, and so it took the discretion of a judge uh, Judge Nash and uh, Dorothy Murphy a uh, public defender, just her, her vicious advocacy of my rights as a kid that that allowed me to to go to a private children's home instead of a public children's home, and then eventually to have guardianship granted to my sister. Um, so there's some jumping around through defects of different high schools there. I ended up coming back to the city of Decatur because I had, I had roots there, Boy Scouts, um, wrestling, JROTC, and um, kind of fought to get a, a scholarship because uh, when you live out of district, you can't but for that tuition and uh, they let me in let me kind of graduate with my class and that was that was a clean slate for me uh to kind of have transition I had a loss of my father that summer he's also a Vietnam vet um and because of my upbringing I didn't get to know him until I left the house and so I got three years with him uh and he went from absolutely uh resentful of the military and was a black dude going to Vietnam uh under conscription coming back to East Atlanta uh not being liked for being Vietnam you know going to Vietnam or being a black guy uh so he had a lot of resentment to me receiving a four-year Army ROTC scholarship and I I really felt that father's love uh in that instance uh, and his support and when I went to North Georgia I remember first Sergeant Dean Papka old burly uh <laughs> Merrill Marauders type ranger mind and uh these bear, b- big bear claws say, uh, Earl Porter, toe the line. And that was the first time I didn't ask to go by my nickname of Chico. Uh, one, because I was scared shitless of 1st starting team captain, And two, uh, I felt invigorated to carry my dad's name. And so North Georgia was the first meritocracy I got to go to, if you will, where like your merit uh, gives you – chances to skip PT because you have a good GPA or go to airborne school because you did great or whatever, whatever. Um, I fueled, or, you know, I, I was fueled by that incentive, uh, and in a, and a construct where it was kind of fairness, whether you're white, blue, green, whatever, uh, here you are a cadet and you work with your, your peers to, to make a team, um, and all the different cavities of leadership in North Georgia are just endless. Um, and, it was really inspiration of two aviators slash rangers in high school when I was at JRTC plus the infantry-minded uh, leadership of North Georgia that I think gave me a really good uh, mm-hmm. framework to enter as a lieutenant. Now, and now um,
0: You had mentioned you were a diamond in the but, rough there, um, but you got to go to – I mean, you, did you go, end up going to airborne school or did you mention that, that- – was the case? Yeah, okay. I did.
1: Uh, I got to go to Airborne School while I was there. I got to go uh, to Russia on an homestead Scholarship. I got to go to Mountain Warfare School um, up in Jericho, Vermont, probably the coolest, uh, most professional school I've ever been to, uh, their winter phase. And then I even got the Shadow Ranger School for three days. What a bad idea. Um, but I had reached this accolade of number one in the nation. Um, so that blank canvas, all that – that uh you know, resentment for a tough childhood got to fuel a lot of effort with a construct of where to put it. And I got number one in the nation. I hadn't won a foot race. I hadn't won a wrestling tournament before that. I hadn't, you know, barely, I was like the 10th guy on varsity on everything I played. Um, and you know, they kind of balance your GPA against your service, your physical performance. And, uh, that was the first cadet to do that for North Georgia. So I felt like I paid back an investment that, uh, Decatur put into me, um, to go up there on a the scholarship
0: did did you have any idea what you wanted to do in the army while while you were at north georgia
1: yeah absolutely i wanted to be an aviator uh i wanted to be I wanted to fly helicopters yeah. it started actually uh i got a funny story we'll get to it when i was listening to alex Mack uh, talk to you yeah on your podcast doing my research and like yeah i'll get to that later but i joined literally to, to fly i'm uh i'm a product of colonel baker uh with a he was a Huey pilot and Ranger Tab, uh, and Colonel Stewart, same thing. Um, uh, but had some Delta Force in there too, some of the original guys. And, uh, yeah, I, I had this mindset that I could do that until I found out you couldn't do both. And so I really wanted to do aviation. Um, but everything I did at North Georgia was infantry. There's this unit called Mountain Order Colombo, which literally started by a cadet in 62. Approaching the RIs at, at Frank B. Merrill and saying, Hey, we want to learn. And basically taking it in the face, you know, and learning mountaineering and patrolling uh, from a guy named Louis B. Colombo who had surveyed, you know, Antarctica for the Army and done all this stuff. Um, and it was CTLT or cadet troop leaders training or something. Yep. Uh, I went to Fort Bragg yep. and for aviation, had a blast. Uh, I mean, utility maximum um we got the i i I say i got the fly helicopter let me hold the joystick right and the little controller and you know i got to do the medevac training and was just a blast and then i met up with a guy named cody gallo that i went to decatur high school with who just returned from afghanistan and uh he was like a senior on the wrestling team when i was a freshman i just wanted to north Georgia and Green's in the you know make use of every opportunity so i wanted to meet with him and learn what that means uh to be an infantry platoon leader in afghanistan and uh met with him uh he didn't have time he had to go to a meeting (laughs) he told me to sit in the back with joe uh it was like mexican joe black joe white joe uh you know like all sitting around four hours cleaning weapons and i smelled family and so in that instance i switched from wanting to be aviator to uh choosing infantry and because I dig well in the OML, it wasn't really a problem. Um, and honestly, one of the best decisions I ever made. There was no, no data for it, um, but intuitively I had a – I can see in hindsight I had a familial void, and the infantry is literally a family. Um, and so it, it made so much sense at the time, and I've never looked back since.
0: All right, so you end up commissioning, um, and it's 2009, correct, when you commission?
1: yeah commissioned two thousand nine right out the gate go to Georgia Tech to be a gold star recruiter
0: ah there you go right um <laughs> yeah. and then you obviously you head off to uh used to be well, used to be called IObc but now it's uh, infantry Bolick, right i mean uh, um right we have two back then so you had to do bullet two first what's Bolick two? and, 2? Then, and I was Why do like I this, not know
1: this we joked about it as a Jessica Lynch project it was uh effectively uh the reaction to not getting certain training at your particular BOLIC. So they made everyone, they were kind of looking at, I think, at the Marine Corps and seeing TBS model and saying, Hey, we'll have a 12 week course, BOLIC to every officer goes to it. And then you go off to I BOLIC and A BOLIC and all these other things. So I was like the second to last class. The funding was done. No, everyone knew, you know, this was, project is not going anywhere. Um, ironically it had, it was better resources than IOBC. But of course, when I got the IOBC, this the training was completely different, um, and I had this Marine crossover as my platoon trainer. So we got a we got a good old grunt style IOBC experience. Back when you can punch each other in the face and stick IVs in you, know, it was good. Yeah, you know?
0: yeah. Those those were the good old days. Uh, uh, we we long for harder times, I guess. Uh, nonetheless, uh, after <laughs> after you end up and you finish your uh, your. Uh, OBC, you have a basic officers' leaders course. Bolick, you, you end up going to where? What's your first duty station?
1: Um, let's see. Did Ranger and went okay? Straight so to you did Ranger it. school first. So, yeah, did uh, Ranger school first after like mechanized Bolick or whatever. Well, three week course. I was winter Ranger. Had a foot injury at the end of IOBC. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, I had obviously for me was really humbling. I went from number one in the nation to peered uh, number seven in my squad of like twelve. Uh, and like West pointers. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, we had this West point platoon. I was right in that heat. Uh, and they were called Dude cat. I don't know if you ever heard of them. They got in trouble for like, eh, I'm sure they don't want to talk about it, but got in trouble for going to for- sororities around and partying on representation as dude cat. Um, and oh, God. I, that was so humbling because I'm in, I'm in the squad with like Stephen Petraeus, uh, little Petraeus and like all these, just the whole West point football team, uh, and they were all good people and it allowed me to kind of reset my clock, uh, and look at about, you know, just become a malleable again. Um, so I, I go to ranger school two months after my peers, uh, because I'd hurt my foot, uh, ended up going straight through graduating in the wintertime. And by June. So you didn't uh, get recycled. Yeah. The
0: foot injury. No, didn't recycle. get recycled. Wow. Had,
1: holy shit. Was it close? Oh, it was close as hell. Um, Every time it was close. Actually, I, there, when you know history never history repeats itself. I tell you, told you how I went to Ranger School for three days as a cadet, and it was like a horrible idea. Uh, I had a run-in at four o'clock in the morning as a cadet, where company commander did not like the call that cadets are walking with Ranger School, and he let me know. And all the RIs are just you know like, hey man, just take it. And he, he was just one of those honorary cats. Uh, well, I leave, go on about life come back i'm now the chow rep because my ranger buddy is like the nco of the the class or whatever and uh he made me the chow rep so i'm the a-hole that has to you know tell you to get up every two minutes but i get the privilege of like passing out pancake duty or whatever on the cleanup crew uh and the same guy walks by me and he goes hey do i know you ranger and i'm like no and he literally went in he didn't like north georgia cadets he still didn't like me uh, and now he's the S3. <laughs> and, uh, next thing I know, one of my Hawaiian, uh, platoon chats came over or whatever and, uh, got me on the bus while everyone's over there getting their boxes. And he was, just, I don't know what you did to piss this man off, but he's trying to day one you. Know? <laughs> and I, I was just fortunate to sit there on my little my bus and go straight to Florida with everybody else. Uh, so I got close, man. I got hypothermic in winters. Um, should have been med- medical recycled probably. Uh, but, uh, didn't. Just had great ranger buddies. Sergeant Penny, uh gentleman that's passed since, uh, was a ranger bat medic, and you know, just taking care of me and helping me get through those those horrible moments. I'm what was the at it. would get everyone else. And...
0: What was the toughest part of ranger so, school for you?
1: Um, having seen behind the curtain and walked the North Georgia mountains back and forth for this Columbo thing I was in or North Georgia is just generally FTX is out there Um, and Boy Scouts, you know, growing up, we always walked around. I saw, I know, (laughs) I know they are not insensitively cooking steaks a mile, you know, upwind from you, you know what I mean? (laughs) And like, I got to see, and like I could tie some of those knots faster than the people. And like, it was so hyped in my head versus what I experienced. And it was brutally just cold that I had to learn how to give 125% regardless. Uh, and that was the toughest part of me. It wasn't the sleep because I I told you I left home at 14. I had a, a life with different structure. Uh, I was pulling two all-nighters a week in college because uh, I didn't learn how to read till college. And uh, it wasn't the food because I did wrestling. But it was that gray area of like still giving a shit when you don't give a shit. Um and that came and paid off dividends over and over and you learn principles like never steal another person's ranger school or whatever whatever um and that community is just so so thick And i'm sure you know um, Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it uh,
0: why did you not learn but, to read till college that's a you know something you sort of glossed over very quickly
1: oh man um You know, literally I had read a book like Goosebumps and stuff or, you know, required reading in public school if I, you know, had to skim it or or something like that. But um, I just thought I was like just not allergic to reading, man. Like at some point it just would fall asleep so quickly. Now, fast forward 2012, I returned from Afghanistan. Um, I'm able to cut the line for LASIK. And when I'm getting analyzed for ear, nose and throat stuff or not that, but I'm doing both at the same time. Um, They noticed that my eyes did something weird that walking around, I see 20, 25, like everyone else, but my eyes were in hyperdrive. Um, And so when I go to read, when everyone else kind of ups, up levels in concentration, I'm already in overdrive and my brain just kind of gets exhausted very quickly. So I didn't know that at the time, Um, you know, through, and and I didn't really see anybody reading. uh, in my my upbringing in that regard, like that, that made it make sense. Um, But then I remember one of the first books that really caught my attention, meaning I read it three times back to back with Black Hawk Down. Uh, And that was kind of, I'm of that ninth grade was my 9-11. And my upbringing was not pro-military at all. um, But I found a lot of add value in my life in the ROTC world, yeah. Uh, that cut through some of that noise when you're on the football te- field or you needed to have a parent on the sideline to kind of help. Um, ROTC kind of gave me that individual, um, autonomy and a collective team sport feel and, uh, which made it leverageable, you know, later on. Uh, so when, when the military said it was good to read, like my approach to a 4.0 is because there was a fat dude that had a 4.0. And, uh, he got to skip PT. He's a specialist in North sure. I was like, what the hell? What's said about? And they were like, hey, you, you know, you got 4.0, you, you can skip PT Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I was like, uh, what's all right? Yeah, let's get it. Let's get it. And then uh, my approach to learning just changed. Uh, I had to figure out I was a tactile learner, memory cards, you know, like write it all down and build it and whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting that LASIK fast forward 2012 changed and it became ascertainable to go to law school. Um, yeah. I started doing bigger and more um, structured tasks in the military. Uh, We had got the order to integrate women when I was at IOBC and, and I had to help take the the course from 17 weeks to 19 weeks. And that meant I went from like platoon leader for six years, able to manage 42 variables. And I'm composed because that's when my ADHD is flawless uh, to, I've got to read 800 pages and figure out how to, how to build this course program of instruction or whatever, uh, as an act in an S3. And if I didn't have that little physical, you know, surgery or whatnot, I don't see that happening. Wow. Um, and just so many ways it intertwined, man. Um, but now approaching law school was kind of the time I chose to learn. So like undergrad was learning how to learn and yeah. law school, I got the, take the most two thirds of the courses I took, uh and just oh, liberating. Very liberating.
0: Um, so let's back up, uh, because I do want to return to some of the stuff that you got a chance to do with that you talked about. But uh you end up uh, I think you said going to Fort Stewart um for your first duty assignment and then you're quickly off to Iraq, right?
1: Yeah, I I roll I'm supposed to be with one thirtieth infantry and ended up getting uh pulled over to 164 armor um flew into Baghdad or yeah and then flew up to Missoula. uh and we were kind of from Kirkuk up uh as as a footprint and I was all the way the further west northwest boundary uh checkpoint 10 back then uh, the game was we knew we were leaving uh it was time to make sure you know uh, Peshmerga and Iraqi police play nice um and lead and can operate without us. We're going from this, uh, OIF 7 to Operation Golden Eagle. I can't remember where it was like we did this big draw demonstration of force and then can't use Bradley's anymore. Uh, and, but I, we had this primitive, uh, experience because, uh, Iraq evolved south and north and we were, um, arriving to bad named maps and, uh, locals who thought we were Russian. Like it was as if, you know, we hadn't as Americans gotten that far right around the dam that was, uh, my key terrain. Uh, that dam that if it fell, Baghdad would flood. Right. Um, and so it was a very different experience. They had like 40 villages and, you know, awesome platoon sergeant. Uh, but very loose, horrible experience at the company and above blah, blah, level. Blah, blah. I remember my guiding principles were, uh, at my initial counseling where, uh, always look cool, always know what you doing and, if you can't follow rule number two, follow back to rule number one.
0: And yeah, like, you know, duh. it's funny. I, I held to the same maxim as a lieutenant. I'm like, I may not know what I'm doing, but at least I look good. So if I look the part, uh, I could probably get by on just a couple of, you know, cute little phrases here and there and just, you know, BS my way through it. So I I, I agree 100%. That's the way to do it. Okay.
1: But it was a great deployment. Um, I got to see kind of a, what men do um, in a tribal format and it's, it's beautiful. Uh, uh, and I really found purpose because of my upbringing. I crossed so many social boundaries just by existing, um, that, uh, I felt it kind of really spiritually aligned to, to be at that lowest echelon of congressional intent, you know, and, and right where, uh, kind of our, our heartbeat of, of our, our nation, our enlisted men and women, um, where they get shit done and represent their interests. That was kind of my, that's where Ranger school came to play. Uh, I, I pride myself on bringing home by 88 people uh, and leaving here with 88 people under my purview. And I mean, I could not ask for uh, a, a more, you know, esteemable aspiration to have growing up, even though I didn't know that really was something that I aspire to do. Uh, and things like Ranger school, teach you in ways you can never, you know, I'd get the, uh, Hey, you got a police call route Tampa, the, the route that's too black to drive down. But, you know, we've got a police call it, uh, to show uh, Iraqis how to take care of their AO. And I remember being able to have the ingenuity to, Hey, all right, I'll walk on the road with these dudes and you guys give me a V on the side and kill anything that, that looks funny. Uh, and you know, to, to really trust my NCOs, that's what North Georgia gave me. Um, We come in not scared, but just so, so malleable to the 10 sergeants. Um, There's so much trust in in there that, uh, that I I think it really shapes us to to be fifth principle patrolling guys. It's common sense, common sense oriented.
0: When you got back, did you have any conversations with your old man about your experience and and compare notes with his experience of Vietnam?
1: I wish I could. I did in my head, man. Um, but he passed right before I went to North Georgia. Uh, he died. Uh, I had a pretty, pretty unhealthy living habits and they caught up with him. Um, but you know, you're, you're fighting in God's country there. So like, uh, I, I definitely did reference him, uh, and to myself out there, you know, never got the privilege, but I was raised by Decatur and, and that's very literal. And so once I could find my support networks in the military, I, and we had this grandfather-like battalion commander, you know, and keeping it appropriate and above board, I could get what I needed. Um, I can learn so much from everyone else's experience. It's kind of one of my skill sets. Gotcha. Empathy, well, I guess.
0: Yeah, you know, again, I, I, I apologize. Uh, we, we didn't get into that in the notes uh, prior to the episode, so I uh, didn't mean to put no, up a could. sort of subject. But, you know, again, I, uh, I'm always curious um, about those conversations. Um, and, and yeah. I know this is something we'll get into a little bit down the road, but, you know, we are so much more of a different veteran community now where we do talk about things and we do express those feelings. And, you know, um, there'll be a time where my kids will ask me about what I did and what I went through. And, and whereas, you know, if you ever did talk to your dad prior to getting into ROTC about what went on in Vietnam, I'm sure it was a very short, curt conversation because nobody ever yeah. talks about it. Um, but, you know, I... I well, we...
1: And we- We luckily had a very candid, uh, his first approach at me was, I'm not going to try to be your dad. I fucked that up. I'm just going to try to tell you everything. Uh, I I wish I knew. And he gave me three life lessons before he passed. You know, you always got to play to win when I eat, everyone eats. and Sometimes you got to let a sleeping dog lie. And, and I got to see him act that out every day. Um, and I did learn man that he was an 88 Mike. Uh, this is, you know, from him. Uh, and he was really driving in munitions and drugs and then driving out bodies. Uh, that was his routine. And it was, you know, he didn't volunteer. He got drafted and, uh, it was a negative experience because right when he got back, you know, uh, there was no diversity, equity and inclusion. And so when it comes time to cut numbers, there's a, a way humans kind of use discretion. You know what I mean? That, that invisibles, uh, and he got a very negative, Uh, you know, experience coming back. Um, So I knew to be speculative uh, that I probably came into the military one foot in, you know, all the way. And that meant keeping my high school friends and my high school network. That was how I exercised that kind of resentment where fast forward to now, you know, veteran transition side, it's hard when you you see guys come in or come out that really inculcate themselves cut off all ties yeah. and then when they come out it's really tough um so i still i still learn from the small things he did you know share with me and the principles he did give me um and uh yeah i've got some great ancestors great ancestors
0: so uh you, you finish up in 2010 in iraq or 2011 i should say um and then yeah. you're you're in afghanistan in 2012 uh, about a year later so uh yeah. that deployment, uh, different kinetically, different overall. I mean, what's, what stands out about it?
1: Um, it was, for me, it was my second time. I was a little more comfortable. I had got to go to a course, JFO school, joint fire, Observer, where you, you know, there's not enough resources to make Jtax in the army. So the Jtax made a course that was like two weeks for army people to be able to talk faster with airplanes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that made me so much more comfortable. And so I was more, uh, aware during that whole deployment. Um, we were right side, right outside of Kenner airfield. Uh, we were the reaction platoon, if you will. There's a lot of chasing, um, you know, points of origin of ice rockets. And, uh, I had a real negative experience with a uh, national guard entity out there that didn't, didn't react how they should, uh, in my opinion, and left their own guys and we had to take care of it. Uh, and so, I also had to relieve a platoon sergeant. That was probably what the the toughest experience. Um, but uh, being more aware doesn't, you know, always make it easier. Uh, the more you know, the more you you feel like you don't know. At the same time, we were not as kinetic over in though That's where they were getting off, from. and we were that splice that supported Second Infantry Division. Um, we were just a battalion that had probably a month. Must- Uh, notice and we shifted our NTC like three months to the left and you know the people who are landing from our California train up are the torch leaving in 24 hours to uh, go to go to Afghanistan we were really tired um I (laughs) we just had a uh we landed from NTC and I remember I'm the arms room officer and I'm yelling hey don't move an arms room before I get there we got the order to move the arms room right before we deploy you know so It's like moving a convict or something. And, uh, you know, we set it aside. And once I get back, I I have my chock of 200 guys uh, coming to the arms room. And it's locked. And I call my armor. He's like, I'm waiting on you. I'm at the new arms room. I'm like, shit. Uh, We have a hasty ass, like, middle of the night turn in, you know, a mile up. And me and the sergeant major are arguing because I can't get my green two. And he's a sergeant major and whatever, whatever. We start checking it. Five thirty, six o'clock in the morning, lo and behold, there's a pistol. Mission. So this is like within that week approaching to Afghanistan and we go from a company lockdown to battalion lockdown to, uh, five days or probably four days of weirdness ending with 40 letters of reprimand. Uh, and you know, my eyes were wide open. by the time I went to Afghanistan. Um, I was also in a then relationship that was progressing to marriage, uh, and once uh once I say we got we got in country, it was just no one could ever get their footing. That was we were perfectly capable, but you know, we trained up gunnery on Bradleys and then found out in you know in the block leave that we're actually gonna walk in Afghanistan. So no one could ever really catch up. Um but you know, coming back I, I, I have more meaningful or more interactive relationships from that deployment um, that exist now. So the the platoon sergeant I ended up getting was uh, a staff sergeant from a mine company and we're the scout platoon. So we're supposed to have the most seasoned uh, NCO and I'm kind of angry getting him. Well, he was the project manager for that nonprofit project that he drove behind me as I walked the AT uh, through the wintertime. Uh, and then my long range kind of support guy was, uh, my sniper section sergeant from, uh, from that deployment. That when I had to relieve my platoon sergeant, I remember calling, he's that, uh, kind of, you know, salt to the earth, wise as hell country boy. And I'm like, hey, can you cover down? I got to relieve the sergeant. Hey, sir, you, you ever ask asked me that dumb shit again? I'm going to have to slap, you know, like this <laughs> cocky response back and takes a, takes an, uh, takes reins as a sniper section sergeant. Of the, you know, biggest platoon in the battalion. Um, and he, he's now, a a, uh, what is the Apache pilot test pilot out of Hawaii. And he's playing long range kind of resource for me while I'm going down the Appalachian trail. Cause he did about two thirds of it in this time. Um, and, and so I'd say that, that deployment set up things. Um, when I came back, I knew I wanted to go to law school because I was, um, there's a period during that deployment where I was dis, disjointed, uh, I knew that the relationship I was in, it wasn't going to be a good marriage if I was active duty because I was just going back-to-back deployments. By then, my life goal was to be a present husband and father um, who served unconditionally and had enough resources to do that, whatever that meant. Uh, and so I started aspiring to go to funded legal education program um, because when I went back to my head, I was like, how did you become an infantry officer? And I don't like getting shot at or shooting people (laughs) or sleeping in the woods (laughs) and past unnecessary amounts. Right. Uh, and it was because of Colonel Baker. It was like, I want to be like Colonel Baker. And so then I was like, well, who else do you want to be like? Honestly, next names came up, judge Nash, Dorothy Murphy, um, watching that public defender and that judge. And then my brain goes, I like law and order, you know, (laughs) didn't even think about I can't read. Right. That's what Ranger school does for you. Or not can't read, but it's not my favorite hobby, right? Um, but, you know, then i I'm reoriented. I come back, I go to a career course, um, and I'm looking for a job that allows me to, to go to Emory Law School because I knew the Army's way for picking flaps. So funnily go education, lets you go to law school for free. Um and it's about a half million dollars when you look at it because you boost you keep your term of service going uh, and you come back you owe the time but um pay for everything. Well dude the Pentagon says I'm a shoe-in, never seen an application like this. Oh my gosh, yes. Uh and I knew I was gonna score low on the standardized testing. <laughs> and so uh I'm you know, scheming the system because the system is you apply to the board, they pick you, then you apply to the law schools. I just applied to the law schools. And uh, then told the board, hey, don't worry about my 150 LSAT score. You know, really low. Uh, Marine said they'll have me and they'll pay some money. And I was like the 28th guy on a 25-man list. They normally have a couple alternates. We have a sequestration or something. You know, what I mean? it was like one of those, like, oh, my God, I just butchered my entire infantry career, you know, asking all my fearless leaders, can I go become a JAG? Uh, and I went to Ibolik as a trainer to set up the FLEP transition, uh, and so just literally calling around to say thanks but no thanks—an opportunity generated. Where dean of admissions at Emory was like, "The army's stupid," <laughs> you know. Call me back when you figure that out, or you know, and you, when you can say more than no. Or and I called back, and one thing led to another. I had kind of a door open.
0: I wanted to spend some time with the. Um with the integration of the females into the infantry, um, you know, you, you serve as a, as, as a platoon trainer at um, i bollock right? Infantry Bullock. And, yeah. you know, it's always a great opportunity to download all that information that you learned, right? Um, to make the next generation of officers and leaders better than than yourselves. Um, but what was, you know, hardest about that job? What did you enjoy the most about that job? Like you know, cause it's a different dynamic oh than actually God. being like in, on a regular active duty unit. Yeah. Um,
1: I think that was my culminating experience for the my military. That's where I can go back and say, I knew what I was doing. Um, and I was aligned in my purpose. Cause like, I, I didn't necessarily know if we should be in Iraq the whole time we, I was there. You know, should we go no notice to Afghanistan? You know, I don't know if I was always like drinking all of the Kool-Aid, but eyeball like I could see immediate impact. These right. 42 souls are going to influence 42 more on the law of averages. Right. Um And I now know I want to go to law school. So I'm like ranger tabbing anything that looks like it'll help me prepare for law school. So like, we wanted to stretch the course from 17 weeks to 19 weeks. And instead of being a alpha Bravo Charlie company, and you just kind of stay isolated, we made, we chopped the course up over time and said, alpha, you got week one through five, everybody and Bravo, you know, week six or whatever. So we had just done this huge kind of expansion of course. And in real time implementing the shit, you know, landlocking and whatnot. Um, and I'm briefing the one or the two star, one star on how, um, in 18 months, we'll be integrating women. And at that, that time, <laughs> President Obama's coming across CNN uh, saying, effective immediately. And, you know, G- uh, turns over, I think it's the infantry commandant, and says, Captain uh, Porter, what's the plan? And I was like, Any five hours. We're going to ranger the fuck up and come pitch it to you. <laughs> like, uh, we'll figure it out. And what we learned, well, one, ranger community, um, super professional, because they just went through the ringer. Um, and we're all over the news. And it was like the day after um, the SOP and Ranger School said to burn the file, a congressional inquiry started. And all they had was two sheets of paper, right? Uh, and that's what the SOP said since 1962, because, you know, General Petraeus's peer comments don't aren't relevant past <laughs> graduation, so they just have a two-sheeter. Uh, And that became a problem. So we got to learn intimate knowledge of what they did, what they wish they could do, because the military makes you do AARs by the numbers, especially if you're going to be a congressional inquiry. So we luckily were able to pull off a POI switch at the same time as, um, you know, having a course that was standard focused. Um, Best part, I still get calls to this day, and I'm still mentoring and coaching and being influenced uh, by people I once influenced. Um, and worst part, I got to see ugly. Uh, you know, when you're apolitical by like choice. So I didn't vote till, uh, I got out of uniform. That was just because I felt conflicted. Um, but you heard some nasty things when Bush was in office and some nasty things when Obama was in office and that should kind of shoot it straight, right? Well, when we got the the subject of gender, uh, there's some ugly ways and, you know, deep down in the core, some people felt and, um, It was easy to say, hey, it's an executive order, we're doing it. But to try to build that common ground to get the decision implemented in a proper way, um, we started asking, like it took way too late for us, but we started asking the female population, right? And once they bought in, or not bought in, but once they started influencing it, it was like, hey, like issue being, where are you going to put the slit trench in the patrol base? You know, like the input we overwhelmingly would get would just be you know just don't make it weird why does it gotta be weird like you know how about let's just go through the course and we'll speak up or something like you know and it it really got us to focus on the fact that hey we were letting through some national guardsmen that weren't passing the five miles Mm -hmm. on the on the pencil whip later from the 05 and above from montana saying he ran five miles within two weeks of leaving us you know under 40 minutes uh and if we were going to let the standard there how about we just fix the standard and whoever meets that standard can be an infantry branch whatever and once we just focused on that um saying 100 percent of people who will cross this line are going to be vetted by everyone in the formation you had institutional buy-in uh and it it really it never made the news which is the success like it's just we got what we have now um and but i mean that was that was formidable for me uh and I had women as my superheroes, uh, my, I left home at 14. I had the playbook for my sister. She left home at 14, 10 years before me. She didn't get the good end of it though. She trusted the wrong person, right? And it, you know, like we have, um, if we're watching, we have the answers, you know, in our community for stuff. And I can draw that line from there all the way to, you know, my, I guess, immediate acceptance of, yeah, this is go- totally gonna work. Um, uh, because I've seen a aviator come over the hill that's male and female in an uh, intense situation and communication flawless on one side of that equation, not on the other. And it looks like all my boys took pre-workout because once that tone of voice came over that radio, like just then became vital on the, so it, there's too many goods, uh, especially when you have women who can outperform us physically, you know, in totally different ways now, uh in performance, what do you do when a guy couldn't carry, you know, his, uh, his rucksack or you just cross load it. Right. Like, so it just, we, we kind of got over ourselves and we, we just got over task condition standards. So like we were in the reverberation of going to that adult learning model where it's okay to ask why now and everybody we've already established can be a sensor. Um, and I had phenomenal leadership. Oh my God, Matt Weber. Um, and like this it's just so um formidable I mean now to see what what happens in a community when money's not on the table, but people feel like their vi- values are at you know at odds, and how we can literally get through this if we all just pay attention and you know don't take things personally and don't make assumptions and the the military man being a corporate american now i i I look at the problems that of uh, corporate uh, DE&I, and I say, hey, gender is usually good and race is good. I don't feel weird for being the minority racially at at big law, which is, but I do feel really uncomfortable being a vet. And I think that's going on right now, and everyone's starting to notice that the next diverse thing, if we say humanity is the most diverse human is an American, and the next diverse American is a veteran. That's it. It just captures yeah. us. And so everybody loves a vet. We're seeing things getting trendy. Um, but it's it's I think how we're going to cut through a lot of noise. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. that common ground. If you're not willing to fight for it, shut up. You know, like if, and that community who could talk to gun regulation. Well, vets kill themselves at a high rate and they do it with guns at a high rate. That sounds like a community. And now, bam, you got everybody included, gender and race or whatever we categorize ourselves by. All
0: right. So you leave active duty um, and you end up uh, going to law school. You stay in the guard a little bit. You know, on on the personal side, you talked about wanting to be a, a present husband and father. Does that happen somewhere in between?
1: Uh, tried hard, man. Uh, it did. It went on for about uh, seven years. It was great. We just, uh, you know, weren't the best team and uh, I I really have to credit you know the decision making process that I borrowed in Afghanistan so when I wanted to go find out what I wanted to do uh, I tried to it's going to sound Simon Sinek-y but you know I started with why and then went to how and then went to what just like we would plan a mission right And uh, my why was present husband and father so when we didn't have kids father wasn't you know, being fulfilled, but I was doing the preliminary work to do it. And, you know, uh, when not a husband, well, I just fell back to being present, right? And that's hard enough. Um, so my personal kind of archetype, you know, I'm still on that mission, right? And, uh, and I think it's whatever everyone has their own mission, but once you de- determine why you're there, it's a lot easier to determine how, how to move and operate about that why.
0: Um, I know we talked earlier about being in commercial real estate and that sort of law and everything else. I mean, well, that's, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily germane to what, what we talk about here on the podcast, but, um, is that a field like you feel like you're going to stay in? Do you like it? Do you enjoy it?
1: Um, yeah, it's, it is tough. Um, you know, it's, I know many lawyers. Uh, the first lawyer I remember paying attention to in my adult life was the flap who was, you know, the last, input before boss drop bombs, you know what I mean? And saying we got probable cause or whatever. Uh, and you know, I could reach back to the child experiences, but I definitely didn't know many lawyers and then I didn't really know any corporate lawyers. Um, and so, you know, it's a lot of learning of just some of the norms and and whatnot. It's, it's big organization, but it's not anything like a big organization that I've been to, um, I do like real estate. So I grew up in Decatur and I got to watch, you know, if you go to city of Decatur now versus, you know, when I was born, it's just hand over fist of more add value kind of place to a lot of people's lifestyle. Um, but I got the experience of like the candy lady got lost her house that she's owned for generations because she couldn't afford the taxes. you know, And uh, all the taxes went to the school system and all the kids were out of the school. So I've had this empathy of wanting to touch real estate, um, influence it. So in law school, I worked, doing like part-time title insurance. Uh, and I liked how tangible it was, So I could see, you know, helping people get to a common goal and it being tangible working with my, my kind of style. Cause I didn't want to fight anymore. Um, I just spent all this time, uh, fighting. And so I'm definitely, uh, I don't think I'm comfortable at the, at the corporate law level. Um, uh, I'll be probably moving out and, uh, Finding like a smaller outfit, but I, I think getting, you know, getting a law degree has way less to do with like using it as the practice of law than it does, from the skill set development you get. You sure. know Like I can go learn now anything, or I have an idea of how to start a nonprofit project and eventually start a nonprofit, or, or put together, you know, an agreement so everyone feels comfortable. Um, so I'm excited to see how I can use. That on my toolkit, not necessarily going to probably be that, you know, uh, categorical lawyer. Um, But it's like it's very akin to being a military officer, but it's not. Sure.
0: Sure. That makes sense. Um, When do you start to recognize uh, and start to get involved with veteran suicide and prevention and everything else? I mean, you know, how does this whole thing come about? Before we get to, I mean, I, and I don't know if it happened simultaneously, with establishing something out of nothing, or it, are they separate? So kind of break that down.
1: Yeah. Um, I'd say they're separate. So first part, where did I get introduced? Um, I think my child, you know, hurt people hurt people, and people not dealing with mental yeah. health kind of, Sometimes gets projected onto others and turns into suffering. So I think I've touched mental health long part. Uh, and I've been, I've had kind of blinders off for a long time, a lot longer than uh, some of my peers. And so I think that Judge Nash, um, gentleman, superhero, uh, eventually takes his life. Uh, and you know, he would, uh, be a juvenile justice by day and then fly to the middle of Africa and be a humanitarian by night. Um, and I carried that rock in my rucksack for a very long time. Um, when I got number one in the nation, I became very close with a, a gentleman who eventually retired um, shortly after finishing there, and uh he took his life. Uh And then we started talking about veteran mental health because 22 a day, we got established, I yeah. think, in 2012, 2013. And so, like, I, I'd see the push-ups. Uh, I do mine silently, and I'm not a in-the-picture kind of person, Uh but I didn't really ever feel like I got to swing that back um, in a way or had the time or bandwidth or whatnot. And boy, I mean, just the amount of people I've, I've learned known of known intimately that have taken their life, uh, by just service alone. It's uh ridiculous, um, everything from just being the inspector, you know, on the, the investigation when didn't commit suicide to, uh, you know, your friends, your loved ones, and mortar sergeant just took his life last May. Um, And so watching, uh, being at, you know, corporate up on a high floor, still afraid of heights, like, (laughs) you know, as an airborne ranger, but, uh, you know, going through imposter syndrome, watching the news and just feeling like, whoa, what is going on here? Um, everything kind of coalesced and I was going through my own hardship. Um, and as we kind of were talking about, I've had, you know, hardships. So every time you go through one, you need to make sure the dominoes are not going to, collapse. It's not always that one domino you're going through. Um, and so I had an aspiration to, uh, hike the trail kind of seeded into me from a friend who always talked about it. And, um, one thing led to another. And, I I had this like really emotional experience, uh, on an eight mile run with a vet named Buck from, uh, Vietnam era days. And he, uh, was moving this log out of the street. And I was like, Mile seven of the eight mile run that didn't even mean to run, and I hadn't been running, I just needed burn energy, I was getting back into good habits and um and man, come to find out he he lost his uh his son three days prior to to suicide, and we had this moment in the street because on that run, I had thought about hiking twenty two hundred miles instead of and doing twenty two push ups you know in on it that would be my kind of way to pay homage um and in our conversation he mistook me to say i was thinking about committing suicide so he gave me this like fatherly response that was still raw because he just lost his son um and once i queued you know re communicated hey no no i'm saying i'm thinking of this is this is so nice that we've met i'm, I'm thinking of walking 2200 miles to raise awareness and resources for for veterans so they don't get to the point of committing suicide we just had You know metal to metal left in a different direction uh kind of experience um both crying and i went to run back to where i was finishing and ran like i hadn't been running seven miles and i felt that charge and i took that to a community leader um and around here jay bailey if you haven't heard about him he's making magic with the russell innovation center of entrepreneurship um and he's he's really in the business and i kind of just took it by him for a smell test and he gave gave me the conviction, you know, if not you, then who would do this? And if not now and when we need something, you know, and he, you know, he thought enough of that. If I could just, for me, we could just influence one vet, which, you, you know, it's a negative thing. You can't prove it. We can influence one vet, um, to make the right choice, it would have been worth it. And asking my friends for help was my way to like platoon lead another chapter. Um, because we had, literally my friends taking pictures of too many people in the back of their plane and they're making human choices, risking their careers, risking their lives. Uh, no thanks. Uh, and the rest of us are sitting back thinking, you know, what was the last 20 years? Um, and being in corporate lots, you know, you can get lonely for other reasons, but that was, uh, that can make the hall silent. You know what I mean? Um, and so we just, we saw 9/11 coming, uh, and does so that mean 20th anniversary? That's a hell of a day to start, um, so we started on and up in Maine, then. And, so, uh, by then so everybody's clear. You, know,
0: you hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, beginning in Maine on September 11, 2021, and you didn't finish until February 22, 2022.
1: We actually finished January twenty fifth because I skipped the Smokies because we had a uh, winter storm Izzy, um, wow. but we were kind of ahead of schedule anyway. Um, but we didn't want to finish anything after February twenty second because in our head that was two twenty two twenty two. I was like, no later than then we had to finish. Um, so we went back in June and, and uh, finished the Smokies. So now we've technically done the whole thing. But yeah, we did like all but fifty or sixty miles. Uh, between that time frame and it took a village it took a village and we'd, we'd have vets fly out, walk with us. Pennsylvania National Guard came to join up with us we'd stay at some you know American legions and meet up with some b f w contacts and susan medicine uh, at the Library of Congress. We did the interviews um you know North Georgia being what it is at the bottom came and walked me in the last few miles, a bunch of their cadets. Um, it was a very beautiful thing, man. And we were a project, the toughest kids initiative. So toughest kids is, um, purpose for special needs, uh, children, um, children that are, you know, of the state, uh, and gold star families. And what, what we kind of, uh, my mentor was how I became in contact, uh, with them and uh, sorry, it's tough. So since then, my, my conduit to Tuckus Kent's initiative has passed. It's a husband and wife team, Kelly and Charlie Schell. Uh It's a North Georgia alum who is an aviator. Uh, his Him and his wife, his wife was the chairperson of the board, um, just passed in July, and they kind of hold up Lake Hartwell, uh, that whole community. Um, he served valiantly as a civilian um, in the investment advisor industry. Uh, and then in the nonprofit space, their family just gave so much. Um, and so I fit some of those categories as an individual. Sure. Um, and what we were doing was an homage of white star families. And what we were pointing out was that's not included in gold star families. Um, white stars are those uh, losing veterans to suicide. It's sickening that I didn't know that until I started doing my research to go on this venture. But like they were compelled as well as a board that entire nonprofit and allowed us to operate, um, because flash the bang to do something nonprofit, man, it takes a year or something. Um, and we're able to, you know, basically work within their infrastructure, uh, and serve immediately. Um, and so, yeah, sorry, it's tough. Every time I talk about the project, I'm talking about, um, them as well. I just need to pay homage.
0: Yeah. Um, and so, Something out of nothing comes from all of this? Yeah,
1: something out of nothing uh, is, is a project that is, um, we took initial donations, uh, got equipment, uh, prepared, and started hiking. Uh, we're able to enable some different uh, veteran communities. Uh, and now we're doing speaking engagements, uh, working with kind of Cobb County veterans, whoever have uh, time and and. We can support, we're, we're kind of, I like framing it as combat enabling um, and in this period applying for nonprofit status uh, so we can go and do future things. Um, I hope to somehow nest all of this real estate with um, veteran service and the leadership we all naturally have coming from that that community one day uh, and to serve it for veteran support. Uh, we were able to kind of triangulate veteran mental health to it's actually a way described by Greg Washington, who's a gentleman who also walked 1,800 miles, mm-hmm. walked from Mount Bayou, um, Louisiana, to West Point. Finished on September 11th. So me and him high-fived September 10th in New York, right outside West Point, um, as I was going to Maine. And um, he played a, a very strong input for me on, you know, someone who's done something half-crazy like this. Yeah. Um, and definitely someone to interview uh, if you haven't yet, i no, haven't l- looked, l- to l- listen, me, But
0: love to put them on. Um, certainly, certainly worth
1: yeah.
0: it. What is the, um, what is the, what is the message that you tell veterans now about veteran suicide and everything else? And I mean, you know, uh, are, are you coming across people who are reaching out to you, um, as sort of a resource? I mean, where, where, where is the whole project and, and, uh, how is it all coming together? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, I'm getting reached out to, um, to the point where I'm seeking my own coaching to get coached up, um, hopefully getting, working with, uh, programs like mental health, first aid or listen, learn, lead. And and so I can get certified to help more because, you know, I don't care to leave blind. I have a lot of experience in this world and empathy, Mm -hmm. um, but that don't make it structure. Um, but we know who to put people in touch with, uh, it's kind of the role we're playing um, now, while uh, I figure out what to do individually uh, and what the next moves, m- we want to do the next, like, grant writing process with uh, more specific intent than my movement to contact. Uh, right. of, you know, I can appellate the trail to emulate better veteran transition. Um But we got, hopefully we'll have something come out in documentary form to kind of tell this behind the scenes story. Because you just had literal um this MacGyver thinking going on from a guy, you know, my number two is a Jason Pomeroy helping, um, helping get Afghanistan interpreters one week and then jumping on my project the next, uh, but when I talk your, your other part of your question, um, talking to veterans, uh, taking from Greg Washington, looking at better mental health as a triangle, like the old patrol base, one apex, we just like to think of it as isolation and the other apex, financial stress. the third apex, toxic relationships. And a human being at 100%, however you culminate that apex, you know, if it's 33, 33, 33, it's going to break. We're fragile. That's just what it is. Uh, Veterans are a minority to the majority of non-veterans that have, you know, a starting point above 0%. (laughs) You know, on that, that, either they isolate, and it's physical isolation, it's mental isolation more often than not. Um, And... The financial stress and toxic relationships you know they're hard to identify if someone's isolated um and so our project was literally trying to be a a flag going south lightning rod to help someone connect through the winter time when we know numbers matriculate um and our goal was to raise up a bunch of money hand out the you know 22 uh veteran entities that was our uh, kind of penultimate goal didn't get there um we raised like 50 grand, half of it was mine. And like, but we saved a life and we learned that about six weeks later. And it was like everyone just got this new conviction. Um, we, we learned that someone was interviewing me, took the advice, applied it, was to tell the story. Um, and then we also helped another veteran mental or, uh, meaningfully transition, uh, from active duty to a, a job and the human development, uh, at a university doing better mental health type stuff. Uh, and so, like, we got a mission accomplished. Uh, we had a, a, so many influential moments on ourselves and on other communities. Uh, we were trying to breach isolation, and by breaching isolation, we'll be able to identify a financial stress, a toxic relationships, or helping help people self-identify, get them in the right direction, highlight things like one, you know, one eight eight number is changing to now nine eight eight. I think it was July sixteenth. Uh, simple things and then like having the audacity to say that's the first time we got an american entitlement in the mental health community a three-digit emergency hotline you know that's what makes you american when you go overseas and you're like what am i missing most you know it's like the ability to have immediate support anywhere in the country uh and now veterans only or or anyone in mental health specifically veterans i think it's like um nine eight eight Uh, press one for the veteran crisis hotline Uh, but just being a sounding board for information in real time um, and learning from people like Garrett Cathcart I saw on your uh, on your one of your shows and you know learning what they're doing and applying it in real time um, in our own way and you know just it's beautiful once we go all in Um, and it it gives me some of that purpose purpose I'm lacking in other roles
0: and again, I, I think that the key part of this is you talk so much about the connectivity, right? And and how the connective tissue reaches farther than you think it does sometimes. And that's the ability, I think, to save a life that it, it's, you know, uh, you put all these little pieces together and they add up to something that's fairly momentous. And uh, from that standpoint, you know, the idea of what you're doing, and what you have done to combat it uh, along the way is you, you've 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 picked up onesies and twosies along the way in the veteran community who are all going to advocate with you alongside you. And I think that makes it a pretty powerful thing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and I I mean, I'm in Georgia where, you know, one thing I learned in the infantry is there's cousins socioeconomically in the the rural poor and the urban poor. They're cousins, right? And there's a whole community in Georgia, like 150 something of our counties are under resourced when it comes to mental health period. Stop, full stop. Um, and it's not Fulton and the cab, I don't think, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of my brethren that are out there, agriculture world. Um, there's just so much help needed everywhere. Um, and I think it cuts by second and third order effect through some other, like its consequences are positive. You get one more active apolitical member to society, uh, that can help be a bridge builder, uh, to whatever disagreements, you know?
0: Alright, well where can they get in touch with something out of nothing? Um or toughest kids or whatever to continue to provide support?
1: Uh so something out of nothing if you go to sun.vet, dot vet, S O N dot vet, uh gotta do a website update, obviously. But um on Facebook also at T K I S S O N or Instagram T K I S S O N underscore twenty two. Um, we hope to have some type of YouTube feature later on, but, you know, it's tough, tough starting off, you know, full-time professionals, but, you know, where there's a will, there's a way.
0: What was the, um, best view on the, on the trail that you hiked that you stopped and was like, wow. Um, cause I'm looking at some of the pictures, they look pretty awe-inspiring to say the least.
1: Yeah. Mahusik's notch was pretty cool. Um, really seeing the leaf change in the Presidential Mountain Range was just ridiculous. Um, it was right when it just looks like watercolors, uh green, you know, all the earth tones. Um man, the uh you know, once you got the winter fit, fa- winter not phase, but once you got the winter time you could start to see far. Um and it was just always feeling like coming home. So seeing some more familiar spots were good. But I, I think I had most memorable moment was uh sitting in a cabin in a hodgepodge of uh or hostel i guess it was in the presidential everybody's got it you can only stay in certain places and this family of like 20 25 people and none of them were vets but it was a mixed group of like professionals that have been traveling so long it's kind of like family and some from europe and some from here and it was it's so beautiful to have some you know homemade wine and, and food and bring bread uh, and serve as kind of a representative in this capacity. Um, and then just meeting just ridiculous veterans coming down the trail, just stories and, and learning everyone's stories. Um, it was such a good time.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, the pictures look amazing. It's awesome to see all the uh, North Georgia cadets meet you at the top of the mountain there uh, for your final stretch here yeah. at the bottom of the Appalachian trail. And, uh, look, man, I, I think it's amazing what you have uh, done and, and how you've been able to pivot from point to point in your life um, and, and really make some some critical decisions that have set you on a path now that have uh, not many would have predicted. You know, you, if you're doing Connect the Dots, they don't all go in a nice, neat order like some people have them doing. Your dots kind of go all over the place, no. and I think that's pretty awesome.
1: I think asking for help, man. Uh, asking for help is kind of the way to do that. Uh, and you know when being appreciative for what you have um you know there was a there's a person in the children's home that that first impression of suicide was a uh, roommate of mine uh dad was on the way to pick him up and instead walked across highway killed himself and that was my first like impression um listen at your worst points and take it forward and you'll always realize man like you could get where it could get worse, you know what I mean, and that gratitude you gain from your current circumstance you just share it someone else will pull you through the breach that's what the military got me um, there's just always such a network to, to help as long as you're you're willing to square up with whatever it is uh, and be vulnerable. Um, be honest with yourself
0: well vulnerability seems to be like a strong suit for you as you uh, have detailed this story, and I certainly appreciate it I, I mean I thank you for. You know the time and obviously uh letting people know where they can get a hold of you and, and continue to help push towards your success in combating veteran suicide and everything else but uh you know obviously the law stuff will, will take care of itself i don't have any concerns with you in that manner you know i know that there's still more greatness to achieve there but i i am genuinely thankful that there are people like you out there continuing to spread the word about veteran suicide because i don't think anybody else is equipped to handle that problem better than we are
1: yeah i don't, I don't either um and, you know, what, where could we be with 22 more apolitical vets a day since 2013? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, I know retention numbers are weird right now. Uh, but, and, you know, keep doing like, no, no bullshit. Alex Mack listening there. I go back to, you know, oh, so I can fly. What says I, I can't? You know, 10 year service obligation kind of stops, but it makes me reassess like, I don't think got ten more years. What about jag or something you know and and just helping each other, I think is the moral of the story um and by by default, those that care for veterans get in the fight. you know what I mean yeah. get in the fight and fast and connect
0: and that's that's the the difficult part um understanding that just because the uniform comes off the fight doesn't stop um you're still there's still an inherent responsibility to take care of each other there's still an inherent responsibility to leave nobody behind. And there's still an inherent responsibility to lead from the front and all those things. Uh, And I don't think any of us should be looking to abdicate any of that just because we officially took off the uniform.
1: Mm -hmm. And as long as there's the headstrongs out there and all these different, I mean, just great ideas getting implemented and getting back. I I see a brighter day. Uh, You know, it always gets, gets tougher sometimes before it gets better, but like, Hey, We got 46,000 veteran nonprofits out there. And like, that was my conviction to that, you know, let me pick 22. That makes sense. And someone else's conviction might change the world. That's the goal. It's not going to be us. It's going to be the the person you inspire most likely.
0: Well, again, thank you for your time and sharing your story. Best of luck and continued success with everything. And uh, certainly uh, I hope that this story reaches many people and your story reaches many people because it's one worth hearing. With that said, uh, Earl Porter, thanks for being part of the Hazard Ground.
1: Appreciate you guys. Godspeed.
0: You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zinno. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at producer at hazardground.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts.